how you doing, folks? Listeners, this is your Que Lo Que podcast, your Dominican podcast here, concentrating and really focusing and shining a light on those folks who are making an impact for and on our communities. I'm your co-host, Elbert Garcia. And as always, I'm here with my co-host, Venesvia Fernandez. Lovely. Venus, como esta? Que lo que? Okay, tu sabes. You know, I'm just enjoying the weather. I mean, I see people with guante y cosa y mucha vaina. And I have to say to myself, pero yo vivo en Miami. So no sé dónde salieron esa cosa porque no lo tengo en el closet ni. Well, I mean, we've interviewed a bunch of different folks, artists, politicians. Um, and well, one of the most important things I think Venus, you and I always talk about is are those folks who are teaching our next generation, who are preparing folks um, who are giving our next generation the skills that they need. Right. And we focused a little bit on yes. youth in high school. But today we have someone here who's on the college level. Right. On the on the in the in terms of higher Whoa. ed and someone who really mixes a whole breadth of knowledge. Um, today we have here Claudia Cruz. She's the director of internships and experimental learning at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada, Reno. Prior to that, she worked as a tech reporter, technology reporter for CNN in Español, where she covered the industry and corporations like Apple, uh, Alphabet, and Facebook in Silicon Valley. But before that, Claudia was editor in local news operations like Mountain View Patch and at Cogero de Queens, as well as staff writer for the Queens Courier and the Manhattan Times. Um, she also served as a successful three-year term as president of the Bay Area chapter of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. Um, and in terms of education, she's got a an, Master's of Arts from the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY, a JD from the Ohio State University um, College of Law, uh, and a BA in International Relations and Latin American Studies from Wesleyan University, like our, our old friend, um, Marvin Cabrera, right? So um, yeah. certainly someone here. It. I mean, I think someone definitely worthy to be on our Que Lo Que podcast, no doubt, right? Yeah, yo creo que ella es una doctora. Tell me. Well, solamente lo mejor aquí in this podcast over here, right? Um, but I tell you here, so with all with all that, it, uh, mira, Claudia, welcome. Que Lo Que. Hey, Que Lo Que. Muchas gracias por la invitación. Thanks for having me on. I, I am excited to be amongst some of your first guests. So like, I know, trying to get the party started, like check, check. So, so, so the next, so that more people sign on and we can tell there's a great stories about our community, whether, no, in the diaspora and on the island. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. But mira, este, Claudia, I mean, we're so excited to have you on because, you know, the role of the media and technology has never been more important on people's minds. I mean, you know, you have this discussion from a point of view of someone like yourself who's literally walked in a bunch of places in a bunch of shoes. Um, and, you know, I think that's why, you know, we want to have this conversation. Um, and of course, we, you know, like we said before, we're proud that you're in a position to lead and teach the next generation, right, of media movers um, and shakers, right? So let's get into it. You know, tell us a little bit about how you got to Nevada. Um, where were you born and raised? And, and how did your Dominican background shape the journey that you've been, that you've taken personally and professionally? Well, I will say that now that I live here, it's Nevada, <laughs> not Nevada. I keep getting corrected. Nevada. That's how, that's how, you know how when you go to DR, si tú no hablas aplatanado, they know you're from the States. Uh, like, same thing here. Like, they can immediately sniff you out. Um, how did I get here? This is, I think, I always joke, I think I'm the only Dominican here, except 
baseball, when our triple A baseball team is in season and like the four or five Dominicans that are there. Right. Wow. So right now I'm the only Dominican, I think in Reno. <laughs> wow. and how did I get here? I have lived in about seven, six or seven States yeah. since, uh, you know, Albert and I actually, I go back a while. We went to junior high school together. Oh my God. Uh, Fancy. So Fancy. I will start off. No, I started off in New York with Elbow. <laughs> um, so then I went, I got, a, I was very fortunate. I got a, a scholarship to go to boarding school. Um, it turns out it's the same boarding school as Mark Zuckerberg. So I always say he went to my boarding school. I, didn't I love it. Um, and randomly enough, there's two presidential candidates right now who also went to my high school. Small, the world becomes smaller when you are, when you, especially as a Latina moving around certain circles, yeah. right? Like Wesley, yeah. you know, so that's why I went to college and you, you, we know how small that Wesleyan community is, especially of, um, you know, the, the more achieving you are academically, the more Latinos and Dominicans know who, who each other are because see, who, else, who else do you lean on yeah. except somebody else who has your shit experience. So Wesleyan back to New York. I, uh, I, I, um, I throw this in there because it's part of my experience, but you know, after nine 11, I became very interested in the law and journalism because of how, um, the post nine 11, all the nine 11 coverage. Um, so that kind of inspired me to go to law school to understand how do reporters get this information? How are laws made? How, um, cause people say you could, you could do the public administration route, but I wasn't really interested in like working and running and, and putting policy together. I'm, I was always curious and I asked a lot of questions and I wanted to be a reporter, but with the skill set of thinking about uh, stories and issues and things that impact people from the, from the angle of lawyers, because lawyers will, will say, like, I'll walk into a room now and immediately I'm like, they're going to get sued because they don't have an emergency <laughs> sign. Right? Like they should have like signs in the back. Like, but, you know, as a reporter, that's also a story. You know, you can walk into negocios and you're like are people getting overtime pay are people because if you know if some things aren't being taken care of um aesthetically and or you hear things you're like i wonder if they're they're not getting overtime pay and then i would have the knowledge of uh, looking up labor laws or finding um attorneys that could then help me uh write the story uh I went to the Ohio State <laughs> uh, Moritz College of Law. I uh, graduated. I am not a bar attorney, but I, I use all that knowledge again for my writing. I went back to New York. I was writing in New York. And I just had these great opportunities to move to California. And I didn't take it seriously because, no, we're New Yorkers. We don't you know. We always hear the West Coast is the best coast kind of thing. And I'm like, ah, nah, I'm just going to go interview because you should always be interviewing is what I tell my students. And... I just, I happened to get to San Francisco on one of those beautiful, like picturesque, clear days, no fog. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. So I got hired and I moved to California. I launched uh, the Mount. So I'll just regress. Yeah. Um, at CUNY, so I went to, after law school, I went directly to get my master's in journalism. And that was one yeah. of the first <laughs> classes, right? Like one of the first classes. I was a second, I was a second graduating yeah. class. And, you know, if you have some of our other, uh, colleagues. Uh, Marlene Peralta was in the first graduating class. There's a bunch of other Dominicanos coming out of CUNY. And a great, in CUNY J School, now the Craig Newmark um, Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY is important because it's um, a public program. You know, in New York has traditionally had Columbia University, NYU as, as leading journalism programs around the country, but we didn't have a public 
journalism program. So now it opened the doors for so many more students to be able to afford uh, to, to attend uh, and learn the skills of being a journalist. Uh, so I got hired eventually. So I worked in Queens for a bit, and then I eventually went to California. And because I had studied business and economic reporting, and I had also spent many years as a local reporter in New York, I transitioned to Patch, which was uh, is still around, uh, but at the time was a startup uh, under the AOL. They're not around anymore. They were bought by Verizon, and now they're pretty much um, dissolved. But I worked for AOL for, for, for a little bit, and I launched a patch site in Mountain View. And that's important because that's where Google is. I mean, I was working on the street with some Dominicanos who are doing fantastic. And if you need more Dominicanos to interview, claro. I got sí, Dominicanos sí. in Silicon Valley uh, <laughs> uh, to get on your show. But I was literally down the street from Google. 25,000 people at the time um, were, were and now even more, uh, were working, commuting into to Mountain View. Uh, WhatsApp is founded in Mountain View and it still has their headquarters there. Uh, Pinterest was started in some of the incubators in, in Mountain View. This is fan fantastic experience. And, you know, as new, as again, I come from New York, uh, New York is always at the forefront of things, uh, but technology or start the startup community wasn't it which is why everybody goes to Silicon Valley, goes to Palo Alto, goes to Mountain View. So I, it was a, a phenomenal experience. But, but, you know, as industries go, AOL and uh, our industry, journalism goes, they, they had a huge layoff, uh, layoffs about, about three and a half years into my, my tenure there. And I wasn't laid off because I was able to jump ship. And then I went to CNET. And CNET was at the, at the I was very fortunate. The, at that time, they were launching their Espanol site. So CNET, a traditional technology brand for more than 20 years, finally <laughs> it got into the space. But you know what? In the U.S., there's still really on, the only space, especially because it's owned by CBS and CBS has put money behind it. So we were a small team of nine people and some freelancers. But like it's. I understand now what the, the bubble of being in Silicon Valley is, um, but it's fascinating. I mean, like. I always said, I think I'm in every Google self-driving car video <laughs> because that's where they tested. Um, every startup tries things out in that area before they, and Miami is doing a lot of great things in, in, with the startup community and, and VC and virtual capital there. But, you know, it was, it was amazing to have that firsthand experience. So how did I get to Nevada? Um, Reno, Nevada is about four hours uh, from San Jose, from that area where I was living. And I had made it as far as Tahoe, which is one of the most beautiful lakes, uh, definitely in the country and throughout the world. And I made it to Reno once. And I was, I never thought, well, I did think about moving, but I wasn't taking it too seriously. And then I realized that I can't afford to live in California. <laughs> it's expensive, anymore. no? Oh, it's so expensive. I, you know how, like... I always laugh because I'm like, I think I was able to do it because Dominicanos, when you go visit family, you know how people, there's like four people in a room, right? Because, <laughs> but, and then you separate the room with a cortina. And that's how, I did that in college. Right, right? I mean, that, 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 I, mean yeah, I, I had a couple family members live in my college dorm room. <laughs> right? So that's what I was doing for almost seven years. And I'm an adult. I'm over 40. <laughs> I don't want to live with strangers anymore. Uh, and I don't want to, I want to have just privacy. So I'm, I just had to, I made a choice to, find to start looking and the university of nevada reno has an excellent journalism program the Reynolds school of journalism 
and they were looking for a director of internship. And I have never worked in that capacity uh, full time, but I had skills that I've acquired over the years. I applied and I got in. So I, I moved and now I live by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the moral of the story. You get your own apartment. Yeah, get the new yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just, I think like, so, you know, what I tell my students is just gain transferable skills, especially, uh, obviously I'm a, I'm a, I read, I write, I, I like this space. And uh, hopefully all the students in our journalism program stay in journalism for the most part. But you, you start developing skills along your life and you never know. And actually some of the things I've done, I've done as a volunteer have helped me in this job. So just pick up skills. Don't be afraid to volunteer, to improve upon those skills over the, over the years. And you never know what opportunities open up that you fit right into and like literally when i saw this job description again i haven't done career development as a full-time job but i'm just like i can do this this is this is my job and i told my friends this is my job and a month later i was hired and i and i moved i'm curious in terms of and again all these different experiences was it now like to be in the front of a classroom right like in terms of you know being i think sometimes when 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 we're in positions of employment, we sometimes wonder, especially with younger folks, like who's teaching these folks? What are they doing? Like now you're in that position. How, how has your, your life experiences, how has that, you know, practically made a difference in terms of now as a faculty member that now you're teaching this kind of next generation of, of journalists, right? I think that, and as, as we, as we know about uh, this generation, and I'm not even teaching millennials, I'm teaching Z- Zennials, like mm-hmm. Gen Xers, mm-hmm. uh, Gen Zers, because they're all under 22. I, I think what's interesting is that they, they push back. And I think that in, there may have been classrooms in previous generations, of classrooms of students who just heard the lecture and didn't ask questions or didn't uh, uh, I could, I could question the establishment or question the assumptions, but this generation isn't afraid to do that. And I think I appreciate that because as a journalist, that's my job to be, to be skeptical and ask questions of people. I, I think that it's what I do realize, and this is maybe what has been written about as well, is that so, the students will, <laughs> while they have all this experience, all this, all these research tools, the Google, um, they're still lacking in basic skills. And it's because they're not using the internet for research. They use the internet for entertainment and, and social media and like just kind of brand, um, uh, personal branding. And I think that's where, because of the years of experience that I've had and how important research has been for everything, including getting a job, that's what I also then kind of push back on them. I'm like, okay, you can ask all your questions uh, and you can get the job you want, but you have to research and focus and spend time taking these steps because it's not just going to be handed to you. Again, there's, there's talks about uh, some students in this generation um, or this generation being called the snowplow generation. And sometimes their parents or other people did a lot of things for them. My goal now is to teach them how to be self-functioning adults when, um, when they get out into the real world. Well, you know, I have a question because you talked about the, the students and, you know, the snowplow. Do you think that's because estamos hablando como dominicano? I know. Las mamás dominicanas. 
Yes. So oh, keep going. Yeah. I know where you're going. I'm, keep going. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I like how you know where I'm going. Hopefully <laughs> we're on the same page. But, you know, culturally, vamos a hablar claro, somos dominicano, you know, you, I think culturally, and not only a Dominican community, but the Latin community, we tend to do that. Uh, we tend to, tu vas a esto, tu vas a así, tu vas I, like, have you seen that as now that you're looking at as as a teacher, do you see any of these reflections culturally? Has it changed? Um, you know, is it impactful? Do you see the, you know, maybe the Hispanic students a little bit not as um, vocal or opposite? Or maybe, you know, you don't see no change. Yeah, I, I think that I see that there are like, students who are first generation, right? So their parents moved there and, some, and they were also uh, new immigrants to this country, still follow a lot of the same cultural traditions and listen a lot to what their parents say. And that's great. It's not that parents want to give you bad advice. I tell this to some of the students that, that because I'm also very independent and rebellious, uh, that it's okay to leave home, that it's okay to not be el doctor, el, el médico, el doctor, el abogado, el ingeniero that your parents want you to be. I think those jobs are great and we need more diversity in those fields, obviously. But I, I think that it's important to, if, if you have it in you, to, to step out of that norm as well. Because I think, again, it, it exposes you to more. I mean, our parents migrated here. So I always say, they migrated here to give you a better life. So if part of that better life is you leaving your parents, for example, like I did when I was 14, then maybe that's your path because it, it doesn't, doesn't always mean that you have to stay right next to you, right next to them. Just take See, their exactly. values and their, and all the great things they try to instill in you and, 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 and go off and share with the world and, imp and improve the world. I think that, and it's funny, I haven't, Obviously, this generation who I'm teaching could also be my children, right? So I think about the fact that if I were their parents, you know, again, I have all this experience. So I would, hopefully my children would, would be at, I, I would have given my, my, my child certain privileges. And I'm still trying to understand uh, the Gen X parents like myself, how they are relating to their students. I'm, I haven't met many of the parents to understand the dynamics, but, but yes, I think that there are some of the Latino students I meet are pegados a sus familias, and that's great. I think parents are, but sometimes our parents, le queremos dar el mundo, but we don't prepare them for the world. So, so I'm still kind of like, it's my first semester. Let me start by saying, I've only, I just got here. So, that's important. That's important so I'm slowly, I'm slowly meeting more students and understanding um, that dynamic between, um, and then also to different areas. This is in New York where there's like half the city is Latino. It's like my family is from Barahona. My mother's from Barahona. And Pedernales is right there. It's like going to Pedernales and just seeing desert and a few like trees here and there. We're lucky because we're right next yeah. to Lake Tahoe. So the like to, it's, today is snowing. So when I go home to, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, it's dark now, I'll see these beautiful snow-capped mountains, which is like... I'm excited about, but you know, this is a different environment and the Latinos here are, are not 
as represented uh, Latinos in New York or Miami. So it's kind of understanding that as, as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, understanding the, I was about to say, it's also like understanding the model, right? I mean, I think part of what's, what's interesting, I think for a lot of first generation, maybe parents, as we're looking at our kids is that, you know, like I think my, you know, my parents were obreros, right? Like they, they yeah. came in, you know, like they worked, you know, they're eight to six or they eight to seven. Like my parents, you know, like my parents didn't network, right? They didn't, they didn't have any of that, like, <laughs> any of that stuff. Like, you know, yeah, maybe. And if they went outside to the club, they weren't letting us know, right? <laughs> like they weren't letting us know. So it's just, I just think it's a little, it's interesting. And I would also imagine too, um, out West too, you know, you know, the Latino community are, you know, both around Nevada and then also, you know, folks who are getting there, some of some first generation kids, they're big out because, you know, they are literally you know, the first of folks to like venture out into this, you know, into this mm-hmm. thing, which makes them, um, you know, professors like you, folks like you, um, it kind of gives you an added, I don't want to say burden, but like an added responsibility, right. In terms of both you know, also serving, um, you know, as a model of what a professional Latina looks, not just for Latino students, but also for, for non-Latinos, right? Um, I, 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 I agree. And I think uh, there's a couple things happening is I'm sitting in on a class that another professor is teaching, another Latino professor, about Latinos' representation in the, in the media, which you know, I've been studying for 20 years. And for me, it's like I've, I've, I've seen it change, but I know some of the the systemic issues of why we've been less represented, represented in the media. And I look at the students' eyes because they're learning it for the first time. And I'm just like, wow. Like I sometimes feel like we haven't done enough uh, over the last 20 years, 15 years to, to get more media in front of these young generations. So they see that we are, we have been working on this (laughs) slowly, slowly. Uh, But because now they're learning this and this generation I can, they, eh, no se cortan, they, they, I guess I forgot a Dominicanism for this. <laughs> you know, so, so, I can think of, I used to live in Spain, so I could think of, pelos en la lengua. they will tell you, they will tell you what they want. So I think, and we're seeing it already with like Me Too and Pero Like and Flama, we're seeing um, the millennials and I think now this Gen Z, they're going to push for more representation in, in the media. And I think, likewise, I think, one of the reasons why I came into academia besides wanting to teach is because there are so few of us in academia. So because of my trajectory, I've I've used uh, you've read my bio, I've done so much and there's again, all the stuff that's not in there. They will then see that it's possible, right? That it's possible to have a varied career and then you, it opens up opportunities and then you can choose. Like I, I hope to stay in academia, but then I want to write books and I want to, maybe be on more podcasts and keep writing articles. It just opens up so many things that I can do now and, and um, income and possibilities for income that had I not gone into academia, I think would have been harder because if I, when I worked at CNET, I can't write for a rival right. uh, digital site, for example. Right. Here, I can write for whoever I want <laughs> because in academia, they encourage writing, they encourage you getting out there. So I, I hope that I'm, I'm a role model. And I think I am. I think I get um, some kudos. <laughs> a, Jesus, my, 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 I've been out of New York for a while. No kudos. What's the, 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 the Dominican version of kudos? I'll think about I, it. I, I think we'll put it online and, and let folks answer for you. <laughs> yeah, just ask them. No, but you know what? I have a question because you did, you did mention earlier 
about not having Latinos in media and you've been in media for 20 years. Now, how did, and I know we're kind of going back to the beginning and you kind of told us your story, how you got to where you are, but was there somebody that you, because you know, when you were growing up to say that you wanted to be in the media, who was there for you to look at? What made you want to go into media when there wasn't really, if there wasn't representation now, there really wasn't 20 years ago. Was there something that impactful that you said, coño, diablo, pero yo quiero escribir, yo quiero ser, like, what made it happen? Was there somebody? Hopefully they're Dominican if there was somebody. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I was just thinking, I, I, I'll answer that in many ways. One, I didn't, I didn't realize I wanted to go into media. I wanted to be a doctor, an abogada, like the typical things. And then I was awful at, at science <laughs> right? like, and math. And you kind of readjust your expectations. Yeah, you and go, I'm not a so I'm not a, no, a full attorney. But I will say that thankfully, uh, you know, as, as though I don't watch Univision and Telemundo very much now or listen to Radio Wado, like when I lived in New York, my mother always had the news on. My mom herself was into the news. And, you know, nice. Rafael Pineda, we had, Pineda, um, right, right? Um, uh, I'm forgetting some of the names now, but we had such wonderful newscasters in New York yeah. that between, and then Teresa Rodriguez, and we watched the 6.30 international shows, right? Between 6 and and 7, every single day, my mom was making like super loud, and we only had one TV because we only had one TV back in the days, and it was my mother's TV. Right, and after the notices of the novelas, so, <laughs> so I just, I just, I grew up watching the news and just being really curious about the world. Uh, Radio Wado, the same thing every morning. We, we listen to the radio, and I just kind of got into like, what's the weather? What's going on in New York City? And in terms of writing, I think obviously the first time I'm saying obviously the first time that I saw myself reflecting in writing was Julia Alvarez. And you know, Julia Alvarez, Dominicana. Uh, I was about no, sixth grade, 12 years old, when How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent, when that book came out. And I'm just like, I can write about Dominicans. <laughs> I can, like, this is similar to my story. And I think that was, that, I think that began a turning point for more voices in literature. And okay, so that's how I started getting interested in the written word. And slowly began to uh, uh, just contribute to local papers. Just really, oh, and then another Dominicana, Juleka Lantigua, who you should also have on your show. Uh, also like running fantastic, a fantastic podcasting empire now. Juleka was my first article I had ever written, and it was a profile on her uh, for the Manhattan Times. The Manhattan Times is a local newspaper in Washington Heights and Inwood. Owned, co-owned by Lee Manuel Miranda's pa- uh, father. Um, I didn't know this at the time, but I realized it after I started writing. But I interviewed Juleka. She was a, already a reporter in New York. She was a managing editor of Urban Latino magazine, and I'm like, what? Urban Latino? It was there was an explosion. I remember Latina magazine came out around that, <laughs> around that time too. So between Latina magazine, Urban Latino magazine, there was a couple of little magazines in New York that if you were the who's who of Latino uh, entertainers, uh, uh, icon, cultural icons, reporters like myself were contributing already. And I'm just like, I want to be on the masthead of a, one of these magazines one day. 
and I just kind of got the bug. So yeah, well, it, it was, I mean, again, my environment is very wide. I know lots of people, but it turns out that it was Julia Alvarez in fiction, uh, long form and Juleka in nonfiction. Well, and, and it's funny, I love it. and it's funny yeah. you say that, right? Because it's like, you know, everything is six degrees of separation, right? And especially for a mm-hmm. certain generation and a certain folks. I mean, the, the guys at Urban Latino started Urban Latino were NYU students. Right. Uh-huh. And said, so, and in fact, they, they did it like they opened it their first, their senior year. Right. At NYU. And it's funny. I got into them because the secretary or at the time, the secretary at prep was dating one of the guys at NYU. <laughs> Right? And was like, oh, we're looking for writers. <laughs> and that's how I got into Urban Latino. And that's how I, I met Juleka. And that like, there's a whole like thing there, right? Um, yeah. But but you talk about it, like there, there's, you know, there's, there's these ebbs and flows in terms of Latino media, right? And then the bubble bursts, right? And then they seem to kind of go away and they come back. And and mm-hmm. some of these folks like Hemescla and Pero Like, I mean, they're still having staying power. Hopefully they'll have um, that same kind, kind yeah. type of staying power. But I think one of the other things, too, as as immigrants, I think, is that we rely on news and information in a different way. Right. And I think, you know, a little bit about that, especially in terms of your time with local news. Um, And and I always remember, I mean, like I I used to, you know, my uncle used to pick up the papers literally from the airport and deliver it to the bodegas. Right. And Mm -hmm. even though the newspapers may come out two or three days at that time, people were still reading them. Right. People would still (laughs) read um, you know, if the paper in DR was on Sunday, that Sunday paper that we're still reading it Monday, Tuesday, we're still selling. So mm-hmm. I'm curious because you've done a lot of stuff around local media, whether it was Patch or whether it was Manhattan Times or Queens. And what's your what's your feeling about the role of these kind of small papers, these local papers um, and, and the challenges they face? and their their connection to our communities, right? Because I think it's a different connection than necessarily mainstream mainstream media. And it's changing. I, I think that, again, we grew up with broadcast television being predominant and, and printed newspaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and flash forward 2019, <laughs> Fewer people. I have an antenna, so now I'm watching broadcast again. But I, I'm a cord cut. So, <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. like it. She's like, "Yo tengo antenna." Yo tengo una antena. <laughs> and the antenna made una, it back, right? Because it was cut, and then like now it's back, like. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I see the value of, of still watching the local broadcast news, and that's what still gets Latinos plugged in. The first generation Latinos who are. Uh, consuming news in Spanish, they're still watching Telemundo Univision. And we know that they're having problems really capturing the millennials. I think even some of these uh, Gen Xers, uh, millennials and definitely the Gen Z, who are not watching, are not home at six to watch noticias and are not going to maybe put on Univision to watch uh, Univision.com to watch the, the broadcast. And uh, uh, same thing with radio. So now I think uh, local news has just kind of shifted. Like here at the Reynolds School of Journalism, plug. Um, we have a <laughs> shout out, shout out to the employer. <laughs> shout out. <laughs> we have we have um, a noticiero mobile. So we have a digital news site in Spanish and English for that is trying to bridge that gap for news in our community. And because we are affiliated with an NPR station, uh, we are also able to put our uh, audio pieces in Spanish, not on the radio station, but at the very least on the, on the 
local NPR's website in Spanish. So you we're guys. trying to kind of like, we're to, I think nowadays the, the, everybody just wants to use all the resources they have. It's, it's a bit more affordable than in the past to produce media and do it from your home or from an office and then kind of edit and spend time editing. But it's a lot of work, I know. <laughs> She's pulling us out, Albert. <laughs> no, no. It's all good. I can, I can hack the media. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what everybody's doing now. I think you guys are at the, so, you guys are at the forefront because it's what everybody is doing now is producing media at home. And I think there's a lot of great opportunities to continue enriching local media. Uh, but we have to then make that a focus. I think that sometimes people want to tell stories about traveling all over the country, but still not traveling in their own community. They want to tell stories uh, uh, about technology in the big companies or video games or video gaming, but maybe not video gaming and technology in their communities. I, 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 and it's still important. I mean, Nevada is uh, an early an early primary state. We're, we're, we're yeah. a caucus state. So it's uh, New Hampshire, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. So we're the third state. So how are we then telling these local stories? Because we're going to have all the politicians coming through here. Through here. How are we telling the Latinos a story about if who, whoever the new president is, if we have a new president, how, so. how are they going to impact their, their daily lives? Yeah. And I think local news is still very, very important. I just, and I do wish there was still more of it because now, for example, um, our local paper, the Reno Gazette, which is owned by Gannett and Gannett is closing, it's still close, closing print editions. Like USA Today is owned by Gannett and they're, they're done with the print edition and just do it going online. But not everybody's online. Even, even elderly white adults, they're not, they're probably still going to choose to want to pick up a print paper then then read con los lentes, un celular. Um, and, and, you know, you can't do that for certain people. And the accessibility issue is also a problem. So I think, you no, know, I, I hope, and part of my, my job is to, to encourage young people to stay in journalism and to consider local journalism, because I, I think it's very important. That's true. That's true. I mean, I'll just say that I, even though everybody tells me about these audiobooks and stuff, there's something about this. For me, I don't know. It's a smell of a book. I love to open it and like read it. So I understood when you said like, as much as I can go on the internet and stuff, there's something about picking something up, having it tangible in my hand and flip through the pages, smell it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but, 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 but the issue is that la gente quiere la cosa gratis y el periodismo se tiene que pagar. Like good journalism needs to be paid. Good journalists need to, need to be, pay, be paid. If not, I, I, I would be living in a, in a room with, in a, probably with roommates for the rest of my life. And I have suit on. I literally had a curtain. I got to Ikea y compré los libros. Claro, porque uno tiene que crear un poco de caché, you know. I no longer had a closet. I was in the living room. Después la cortina. La barrita con la cortina. Y la cortina, oye, oye, you're going to love. La cortina la hizo mi vecina dominicana en su, con su máquina de coser. So many Dominican women have su máquina. And I took it to her. I'm like, Alta Gracia. Alta Gracia. 
Muchas gracias, Alta Gracia. Gracias, Alta Gracia, por ayudarnos, Claudia. Shout out to Alta Gracia and all the seamstresses out there. 125 Sherman in the house, right here. I love No, pero Claudia. Vamos, vamos. Me and you have to talk about something that's bien importante. You know, I got curly hair. You have beautiful long curly hair. There's been a growing movement of women embracing los pajones, the natural curls. California even just passed a law uh, outlawing discrimination based on hair. You, you studied law. You're in media. You know, tell us, you know what I mean? Especially in the media, there was images. There's perspective and the huge different, like, Tell me a little bit about, you know, what, whether you think, you know, public trust, you know, is in the way if we wear our pajones bien grande, like that must be a change from the 20 years. But what do you think now? You know, as a, as a, as a, an anecdote to that, I had a student who was telling me again, these students push back. They're like, I just want to be my authentic self in my job. Right. And if I want to have like purple hair, why should it matter? And I, and I said, absolutely. But you they, just remember, look at me with my curly hair 20 years ago, you would never see someone like me and you still don't like broadcast news and like CNN and certain like, uh, no, mainstream media on TV. They, I mean, like 99% of the time still have women with straight hair. There's very few women who have curly hair who are on broadcast TV. And I can, I can understand why, you know, because I'm always looking at the flaquitos and like, you know, that, like, you know that's, that can be distracting. But with a good, a good serum, like we know, a little shiny. Yeah, so it's funny because I gave um, about 20 years ago, when I first started off in media, I was working with this... Uh, radio journalist who wanted to go into TV and, and she's not Afro-Latina. So her hair is curly, but it's not as, and as kinky as ours. And I, and I told her 20 years ago, you need to straighten your hair for your, in, for your interviews and to be on TV. And she does. And I think that's why she's, she's done pretty well. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited that the Pajon Power movement has picked up. Um, I started uh, going, I've always wanted curly hair, always wanted curly hair. Uh, Elber, you went to, we went to same junior high school. Remember Ms. Valentine? Uh, Ms. Valentine, she and I are Facebook friends, by the way. Ms. Valentine, <laughs> una boricua, had the most beautiful, like, curls. And I'm like, why can't my hair do that? But it, I, my, my, my hair's kinkier than hers. Like, it was more, it's more textured, so I couldn't do it. And then, you know, I, obviously, I, I was already part of that trap of el derrizado. And once you're in that, it's hard to get out because when your hair starts to grow, you're like, I know, I can pasar derrizado otra vez. And trust me, my my four years in boarding school, my four years of college were very tough. Where uh, trying to do my own hair or trying to find somebody else who knew how to do rolos. Now I can do my own hair. I I, I, I don't as often dry it uh, because I don't have to anymore. And I think society has changed enough that. Uh, and when I was in law schools, when I when I started going all natural. And it took me a while, took me a while to let it grow and cut, grow and cut. And I think if I had been hired as an attorney, I probably would not be, if I was meeting with clients, I probably would not be rocking the curly hair unless, you know, subsequent meetings. And like, I understood that it, it, they wouldn't have a problem with it. But 
In law, I think they're still less common. Again, unless you've arrived at a position where you're not worried about being promoted or clients may not be talking behind your back to a partner. Right. And, and it's, so, it's so hard, right? It's, it's a balancing yeah. act, right? Because like, you know, you're, you're, you know, on a very practical level, you're dealing with people's images and people's conceptions and stereotypes. Um, and you have to kind of balance that. Right. And I, and I think it's, it's interesting because I think that's where like younger folks will be like, Oh, I want to be authentic. Like you said, and, and older folks are like, yeah, I want to pay the rent, you know, like, I want to like, <laughs> do those things. And, um, but, but I, I do yeah. think that when I, when I hear, when we have this conversation, I think there's almost like a freedom that people feel, especially women are feeling like lifted out of, right. That, that can, no, they can't de eso. No, see, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that just the freedom of, I mean, so había preocupaciones because no, my hair is very long. El enredo en esta greña. So, you know, untangling it is such an issue. <laughs> so in the mornings, I tell students, like, I, I, I shower in the morning because I have to get my hair under control before I leave the house. And sometimes, obviously, again, when I go to conferences, uh, when I was a CNET and I had to do CES and I just had to like run out of my, uh, my hotel room to go cover something, uh, I would usually actually straighten my hair. Because when it's straight, you might want to be, no, it's easier. It's like 15 minutes in the morning, I'm done. But when my hair is curly, I have to make it not look like I'm practicing Rastafara. It's, <laughs> I, but, it's, but it's true because it, it begins to not, and it, it begins to get bigger and voluminous. So it takes a lot, it still takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of daily work. But part of that um, experience, process so there's some freedom i'm not worried about the rain <laughs> for example or humidity or dryness but part of it too is that you become prouder of your afrocentricity like um you are just yes. proud of who you are because you're like why like if if my hair had been like this my entire life i would not never had had i think maybe identity issues because my hair hair is so rooted in your persona and your identity and I love my hair now. I don't like people. And I, I still get into many conversations and I'm, I'm polite, but I, I, I stand up for myself when people, you know, they go to hug you, but they're really trying to touch your hair. Watch out for that, Venus, because it's coming when your hair gets really long. No, I've experienced that. <laughs> I've experienced, right now I'm rocking short hair. But when I had hair long, okay. I'm like, but I I thought you were coming in for a hobby. The other day I had a very prominent person here in Reno who I'm just meeting. So I can and like in public and I can't like I'm not going to uh, it's I can't just can I curse on the show? But no, yeah, I, I, I just I, See, I can't respond. <laughs> I don't care. No, she just like no, she would present me. She'll introduce me to someone. She's like, oh, look at her beautiful hair. And she'll touch my hair. But she, she could just say, it's like my hair is now objectified. Like, it used to be my you know, curves and, like, you know, Latino sa sauciness. Now my hair is what's being objectified. And I'm like, you have to introduce me through my hair. It's like, tampoco eso también, right? Like, it's like, the only reason why it's a big deal is because we're now quote unquote allowed to wear them to wear our hair natural. So now you, everybody's noticing we have, we've always had curly hair, but now that we're wearing it in public, 
people feel like it's a novelty. Wearing it in public. <laughs> like you put it on in the morning. <laughs> no, but I, I, but I understand. I mean, I remember one boss um, when I was starting in my career, in the, the professional career, and I had my, my hair was down to my but I don't yeah. say it like that curly and I always wore, but I always kind of slicked it back but you know he called me into the office and he tells me isn't there something you can do with your lion's mane you know, <laughs> like I, I, I for, it took me for a minute I was like lion's mane he's like you know all of that <laughs> and I was like and in my, my mind I'm like I, I know I have jet put these things away it's part like my hair my hands like it's me it's me you know so um but i I love i love you walking there i also have a mechon I feel like that's a tradition. I feel like I feel like I feel like that's like a rite of passage for a lot of like, you know, Latina. That's when you know folks. when we arrived. I know the, the, wisdom, the wisdom. The wisdom. <laughs> <I think. laughs> en la lucha, siempre. No, siempre en la lucha. Mira, well, look, this is your Keloke podcast. This is uh, Mangu for your soul. This is where we're having, we're talking here with Claudia, et, uh, Claudia Cruz, et, uh, and, you know, professor over at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada, right? You got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's good to remember. It's good to remember. But oh, look, as we always say, you know, you we, we are your Dominican podcast. We do like to give you your audio mangu. And you can't have mangu without los tres golpes. So... Uno, dos, tres, golpes. So, Venus, please lead Claudia down this very important part of our show. Okay, but before I start, I just need to know, ¿tú estás preparada? I, I, I should have prepared for this, <laughs> so I'm not, but I'm excited because I like trivia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Primero. Okay. Merengo bachata. Old school merengue, old school bachata. So, oh, oh. Uh, like, not, nothing so, so you're breaking it down like old versus new. Okay, okay, I like this remix. Lo 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 yeah, lo like okay. But old school bachata. Like a campesino like who... Yeah. The cassette tapes, Bachata. Rodriguez, Anthony Santos, you know, Frank Reyes, Frank Reyes. Oh, she's naming names. Naming names. I love it. I love it. Okay. Segundo. Totore o Maduro. Maduro. Esta pregunta le tiene el corazón. No sabe. I think I'd have to say Maduro because. Just because. It's okay. Don't worry. We are sweet people. It's all good. Con queso. Maduro. 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 Con queso. La queso dominicana. Otra receta. Otra receta. I don't know why everybody wants to give us, you know, like, every, like, every time we give you this part, everyone like, déjame decirte algo, un poco, de, you know, like, 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 we've got drink specials, we've got food. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to let the audience know we're going to do a special podcast on recipes. Good. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Que lo que cocina la cosa. Ok. Y este es el Maduro. 
Maduro. This is no the Maduro hardest question. No es Maduro de plata, no, pero Maduro de, de no. fuerte. Este, más duro. Más, that, right, that's right. Mira lo que está pasando. Es que we don't do our S's, though. Like, isn't it like a, like a no S campaign for like Dominicans? Like, like, you know, like. Sin S. Ok. Morí soñando o country club. Morí soñando. Hands down. Yeah, pero, oye, con Sony the Light. <laughs> And you can you Delight. can tell which Dominican childhood you were going in because there was definitely like the Tang era, but that merged into the Sunny Delight era because Tang got too too expensive. So you had to get the Sunny yeah. Delight. Tang. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she was in town. She was Sony Delight. Yeah, Delight. I remember Tú those sabes. bottles. My mom used to. Yeah, está llorando. Yo la veo llorando, llorando. Yeah, I just took me back. I love Murisoñando, and I have it, and I, I'll drink it whenever I, I I go to DR. And I'm just like, I love when my mom used to make it. She would, would buy like a Sony Delight for two, like two for dollar back in the day. And my mom was either either we were just broke or she was just health conscious. But she would. <laughs> She would add water to like dilute it. Claro. <laughs> Porque ese es strong, ese es strong, eso está duro, tú sabes, es strong. You just can't have it like that. Just... I pulled out the tissue because like, I laughed. I told you, I told you. Laugh, cry, this is what this is. <laughs> this is this is what we're about. We're mongo for your soul. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. We got we gotta get someone uh, representative from Sunny Delight on the show at some point just to <laughs> to say how much how much we represented there. Este, um, mira, Claudia, I mean that I mean I think I think that's what's so important, right? About the podcast that we're trying to do is I mean there's a lot of connections. Uh, to our childhood, to our youth, this stuff that that brings up. I guess one of the things that you've been in different places, you know, obviously you've seen a number of different kinds of Latinos in terms of, um, you know, race, countries, things like that. What is something that, you know, somebody does maybe that maybe lets you know, I am in another room with another Dominican? Right. Like, is there is there something like, you know, how, how, how does you know, what is your Dominican radar like? Basically? Is there anything you know, like that? Is there I mean, or is it just hard? I mean, like, you know, it, it's all that's also thing. So well, I'm just, she is in what is it? She's in Nevada, 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 Nevada. She's in Nevada, <laughs> <Not> Nevada, Nevada. <laughs> She's in Nevada. It might be a little bit easier. <laughs> well, no, I think that like when I was in California, I remember one time I was at a supermarket. And this is funny because maybe another Dominican. Well, I was on I was online to buy a lotto ticket, right? Lotto, lotto. And my mom still calls me up. I said, "Comprese lotto because we could win." So I'm online buying a lotto ticket, and I hear this woman in front of me, and I'm like, "Esa dominicana?" So I'm like, "Esa dominicana?" And she's like. <laughs> and her husband actually looked more Dominican than she did. So I'm just like, no, no, she could be Colombiana for all I know. He's Panamanian, so he's darker. He looks more like, like us, right? Uh, or like uh, some of the uh, darker skinned Dominicans. But yeah, it just turned out that she was Dominicana and she just literally opened her mouth, right? So that's how, if you can hear a Dominicano talk, one, it's by, by the voice. 
Secondly, sometimes it is the hair. So, and maybe they're not Dominican, but you know, when you're rocking curly hair, uh, you know, all of a sudden, where you could be from in the world <laughs> becomes a little smaller. <laughs> you know, obviously it could be Brazil, which is very big, but I, I sometimes you can kind of tell a little bit. Like when you start asking them about questions, you're like, "Where are you from? If you're you have curly hair, and you're from from New York. You're probably one of these groups, right?" And you kind of like, but hair, voice, um. Let me see what else I would have noticed in other places. Uh, La Cachucha. <laughs> oh, my God. I was in Honduras. I was in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, uh, reporting on a reporting trip two years ago. And I, I'm across the street from the, from the Marriott Hotel where I'm staying at a Pupusa's restaurant. And I'm eating by myself because I'm reporting there by myself. And I look over, I see this man walk in, con una cachucha con la bandera dominicana. And I'm like, eso dominicano, ¿quién más? <laughs> Who else in the world is going to walk into a restaurant? Like, repping. Yeah. Um, so I go up to him and I introduce myself. And it turns out that he was working for the uh, Dominican ambassador in Honduras. And so we stayed in touch and we're still in touch now. But then I was able to hang out with the Dominican ambassador and his uh, team, of his staff, as they went to this university in, on the outskirts of Tegucigalpa. And I didn't know this, but I think it, it might be like an American, uh, Organization of American States kind of uh, fellowship, but they grant uh, scholarships to students across Latin America uh, who are interested in agriculture and agribusiness. And they hand out certain scholarships uh, every year to a certain amount of students from each country, and then they get invited to live and, uh, at, at this university in Honduras, which is one of the best agribusiness, agricultural universities in, in the region, if not the world, at least. And so we went to the school in Honduras and I met like 30 Dominicans who just happened to be in Honduras, just like me, <laughs> but they were, li- they were living wow. there and studying how to be better, better farmers, how to run, run businesses in agriculture. It was just really fascinating. And I learned that I didn't realize this kind of diplomacy was happening. I knew somewhat at the embassy level, but I was very lucky that because I saw this man with his cachucha <laughs> at this pupusa restaurant, it then opened up this whole other, ex- oh, I conocí Dominicano en Honduras que hace vino. That's all like winemaking thing in, in Honduras, uh, which I thought was very interesting. So, yeah, La Cachucha, you know, whoever's representing like World Baseball Classic and they have the FRD on it or literally this man had the flag on his on his hat. Well, uh, I guess listeners, hat. you know, when you're traveling the world, look out for La Cachucha. Oh, 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 and the other one, which I, I may be giving them all away now because I'm sure other people are going to have these. And Los Carros, you know, Latinos always rep their country with a little flag in their in their visor. Uh, yeah. or, like, somewhere or somewhere in the vehicle. So I see people but like I haven't met them always, but I said I walk by the door and I'm like, "Es un dominicano, yeah!" And I get so excited. No, that, no, that, that I can say is very true. Yo no, lo verdad, I gotta grab a photo on Instagram or something about that, you know. But it's true. I think we're always repping our colors. I think that's what it is. I think you know that's always the the things that we're doing. Look, I mean, and you can. All, I, I have to say, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I was, you know, I, I'll, you know, my brother lives in Germany and. 
obviously he's a Dominican, but then he'll, he'll be like, I remember the first time he was out there. He's like, mira, encontré una bodega. I got my platanos there and everything. But, you know, and, and, and granted, he was like, era un chino dominicano. So it was like, it was really interesting because there was a bunch of other stuff there too. But, um, but again, nosotros no encontramos, right? We, wherever we are in the world, right? We tend to find. I love the chino dominicanos, man. Like, I, I. Well, I'll, I'll say from, oh. No, no, I was just going to say, because I met them, I, I knew they existed in New York, but there were so few of them. But when I went to DR and went, and went to the Barrio Chino and started meeting more people there, I'm just like, yo. No, we're everywhere. Like, we'll take no, you. It's, we'll take you. No, it's very, it's very true. I lived in a few different places and, and my, I always look for platanos. If, I, if you have platanos in your house or you're in the store asking for platanos, I'm like, do you know that's, that's, that's my cue. Yeah, we got to find it. Cue. We got to find it. Well, Mira, it, uh, we've had a great time. I know we could be here for hours talking about a bunch of different things. And um, I think the, the one last question I have, and I think it's, a, you know, getting back to your experience as a, you know, as a technology reporter, I mean, we've seen technology play a huge now role in our lives, right? Regardless of whether you're rich or poor or whether you're from another country, I mean, like technology has taken over our lives. And um, it used to be, especially in Silicon Valley, kind of the darling of innovation and the economy. And now people are pushing back, right? Like people are saying it's too big, it's it's too white, it's too male, you know? I, I guess as you think about the future, both for your students and for our listeners, you know, what what's your sense of that right like is that um you know is, is it just the honeymoon being over in an industry is there something that we really should be worried about like you know like w- you know how, what what should we be thinking about especially um around tech you know around the future role of, of technology especially in in the lives of of our folks well i'm going to add to that question to the, the the whole issue of fake news right. as, a, as a journalist and how all that uh has been perpetuated because of technology i i, I think that you know there are all different types of technology fire and the inventing of fire the, the wheel um you know there's a lot of things that the automobile that have made our lives better and richer and connect us and help us communicate and I think technology is good. There's obviously there's nothing wrong with technology. It's always about obviously who's who's been involved in the creation of it, like anything else, uh, who's benefiting from it, and how it's being used or, or, or manipulated. I think that there are because of the digital divide that has existed in this country. Um, we obviously had, <clears throat> excuse me, decades of. Um, poor education in the sciences and math for uh, black and brown folk. And that's why we're obviously less represented in, in, these, in these fields, especially now when there's so much money to be made, whether as an engineer working in a company or as a, again, as a venture capitalist or as a, as a manager, because there are people who could have entered through a, a different route, but there, there may have been many of us, many fewer of us in management positions someplace else to be recruited by a, a tech company. And because of that, obviously, the issues that we're facing now are more heightened. Like, I just because of the lack, the, the lack of the diversity, the the kind of information that that is shared is very pointed and it lacks diversity. The 
I'm, I'm trying to think like whether or not it's in a second language. If you can right. get to a website and it's in Spanish or or Chinese or Tagalog, you know, the lack of diversity creates barriers to entry also in, in technology. And then because this same population wasn't really learning well how to use technology. They just kind of like acquired a cell phone and started using it as opposed to being trained or being programmers and understanding some of the backend. I think they're also more susceptible to being manipulated and not understanding that how to, how to set your privacy settings on Facebook. Like when I was a student in Espanol, we wrote so many articles about how do you set privacy settings on anything, Instagram, uh, anything that's public facing Twitter. So that's one one thing. So the lack of education on, on privacy settings, the, the lack of education on just being critical uh, as a reporter on, on the sources and the, and the information that's, that's being shared, because it's so easy to just hit retweet or reshare as opposed to actually reading a headline, as opposed to obviously clicking on the, the story and trying to figure out if it's a real town, if it's a real sheriff, like who who's being sourced in this in this article that you're about to share with billions of people, your friends, who then we share with so many other people. But if you don't understand what you're sharing, the, the issue just becomes um, exponentially bad. So I think that it's definitely a moment of reckoning for everyone. If, if you're going to continue participating in media, how, how smart are you getting involved. I think we're all sick and tired of spam calls. I, I think we're all sick and tired of like the hacking on our Facebook messengers or uh, other sites, because now you don't know who to trust, what to trust and I, whether it's, you just don't know. But I don't I mean, I don't think, I think, I hope people are becoming smarter. And again, there's, they're all, there's the role of journalists to help people get the information to become educated on being smarter consumers. And I just hope they, I hope they take it seriously and actually choose to become smarter consumers. Because the other part is, are people taking it seriously? Because if, if parents aren't learning and kids aren't learning, it's just going to be perpetuated uh, as well. But I think that the honeymoon stage is over. I think that people are now seeing these companies, these mature companies, and are, are wondering whether or not I should be on Facebook or, or not, for example. But it doesn't mean they're not on technology. I think people just kind of shift to a different platform. And I just hope that when they shift to a different platform, even if it's a new startup, that they're also considering their security, that of their friends. Like, don't invite your friends to, like, join your farm bill game. Uh, and I'm dating myself. I think farm bills, I think it's going to To join your Fortnite game, sure. Um, I just... Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I mean, I think technology is not going anywhere. We need more people in STEM. Uh, I'm part of uh, groups called Latinas in Tech, and they're uh, um, and I, I can I can introduce you to Dominicanas who are part of Latinas in Tech, and they can talk to you more about what they're doing at their companies to make sure that users are protected. But nowadays, it's it, you have to tread carefully because I, I or do everything if you're going to do it online like have everything encrypted and that's and that's another learning curve for so many people like i still don't use signal and i probably should right like there's a lot of um that go which was uh one of those browsers that is uh doesn't have cookies and like crawls your information but you know we are these big companies are very big they have a lot of your 
again, your information, your data, and they use it to make more money and they keep sucking you in. Like I have a, an Amazon uh, Echo, I have a, a Google Home, like I have a lot of smart devices at home. So I always got a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, somebody in China is listening to me or to my NPR because I listen to NPR all day long. So listen, whoever's listening to me is listening to NPR all day. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's crazy. And I think the other thing too is that it also almost, it almost transforms the, the, re, the release of responsibility of the journalists to the community, right? Because I think, you know, just in the same way, I think that with everything going on in our communities, our teachers, because they were the focal point of education teacher, people expect a whole bunch of things out of your teacher, right? Like when they send their kids to school, they expect teachers to, to almost solve every problem that both is in the neighborhood and in the community, right? I think sometimes it seems like increasingly because journalists are, are in the front line to dispersing information that people expect them to to, to almost, you know, to, to almost, you know, guide them through this information process. I mean, I think you kind of see it with this recent thing with Harvard and, and the coverage of, um, I think it was either Harvard or Northwestern where the student, where the student paper was, mm -hmm. was got in trouble because, um, in essence, well, because how picture, they were, when Northwestern, they took, yeah. uh, the school newspaper had taken a picture. They were covering a protest right. and one of the, the Northwestern students, uh, who was depicted in a photo, uh, didn't agree. Uh, it, it was a public protest and it was on campus and the reporters were doing their job. But because the protester was upset that they were in the picture, it was published in the, the newspaper and the digital site. Um, people started protesting the school newspaper. And actually in Medill, School of Journalism, their dean so was supporting the journalists and the school newspaper saying, this is our, our job. And this happened. The word job is to report something that happens. And I, I, and I forgot what, what the Harvard, but yeah, actually Wesleyan as well was in the, in the, in the news too, because of something similar. Um, so I think that yes, people kind of think that the onus is on the reporter, uh, but it's, our job is to be there. Our job is to report um, and to guide you then on how you can get more information. Again, you want to pay, you want to buy newspapers and you want to buy subscriptions by all means do so, because then we can spend more time informing you. <laughs> but right now, you know, we're having a hard time staying employed because people want things for free. So, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. We want to be there. We want to give you information, but you have to support journalism. And again, and, and I, I will emphasize this to, to, and I think your, your listeners are the type of people who understand a free press is important to democracy. And we, we come from countries where, where the first thing to be censored uh, is the press. So if we, and if we don't support newspapers, if we don't combat fake news by, again, supporting NPR and PBS and outlets that are uh, walking that middle road or being very objective, and you know, we're, not, we're not going, we are going to be ma manipulated so much more in the future by everyone, not just politicians, but by a business, by uh, fraudulent lawyers, by anybody, because la gente se pasa información, Radio Bemba, la gente se pasa información without verifying it. Um, and then they, they're not supporting uh, the journalists um, that are the, the fact-checkers of this information. No, but I used to always laugh because it, it seemed like every, when I was a kid, it seemed like every couple of months, my, my, my dad would be telling me like one out of, one out of three pieces of news. Um, my father, you know, my father would, would be wrong. Right. Because, you know, 
fulano le dijo algo or did you hear that it was like the upteen time that Castro had died when he didn't, right? Or something <laughs> like, like, no, no, it was a rumor, you know, so. No se murió. No, no todavía. Pero, and look, I, and mira, we go back, we go back a long time. I know we could be here forever talking about tech and journalism and 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 everything. But um, but look, it, it's been great having you here. We definitely want you back on the show. We definitely want to pick your brain, especially about other Dominicanos and other Dominicanas that are doing stuff. Um, and we really, you know, like, I, I think it's been a pleasure to, to have you and to open up this conversation. Um, sí, sí, sí. Venus, I don't know if you've got any last, uh, you know, parting thoughts or thoughts before we get out of here. No, uh, except for, you know, I, I, I love your story. Me gusta, me encanta, me encanta tu pelo, tu home. Uh, I love, you know, that you talk about now education uh, because sometimes you know people forget that you know you might see a job out there to have como a woman una latina that you think oh i can never get the job but if you look at what your skill set is you know go for it mm-hmm. you know be be the renegade go okay. for it and i will say and i'll just add to that i think don't be afraid to live someplace else like, you know, I, I think it's important to also get to know other people that aren't like you. And as a yeah. reporter, that's number one. Our job is to go into the street and interview strangers. So you, you learn over the years to, to kind of be okay with being in uncomfortable situations. Not all the time. You know, I go home and I'm comfortable. But, <laughs> but, 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 you, but it, it takes the, the, the tense aspect out of moving again to a place like Reno where I, 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 I will get back to you, but I still think I'm the only Dominicana here right now. Again, when the Reno aces aren't in season. <laughs> so when the base, when la pelota está en temporada, hay como no, cuatro o cinco más Dominicanos. And I'm thinking, but, I'm gonna... you know, but I must say now that you're on the podcast, I think more Dominicans are going to say like, mira, Claudia está ahí. <laughs> so tú sabes. Yeah. No, dame, dame <laughs> And, 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 and to add to that, look for jobs in academia, because I think there's lots of jobs and there's opportunities for, for again, our skill set to kind of, uh, I don't want to say retrain ourselves, because it isn't retraining, it's just start a new chapter. And sometimes what we've already done is useful in an academic environment. And then, you, then you're around students and, again, influencing the next generation of, of Latinos. I got a bochincha, I got a bochincha. Okay, that happened. That happened. Uh, did you see that the Dominicana won the elite model agency? Um, so the first Latina ever to win best model for elite model agencies. <laughs> sí. Una Dominicana. I sent you in the, the same link. <laughs> Ahí está. That's the good like we need. That's the good we need. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, mira, Ete, thank you again, uh, Claudia, for, for, for being on the show. Thank you, Venus, for, for helping holding it down. And again, thank you, our listeners, for showing up um, and always supporting us. And as we always say in the program, as long as there's good bochinche to spread uh, and Dominicans doing stuff, que lo que will always be there. <laughs> <laughs>